everybody. Hi, this is Tom with the Ramble Redhead Show. I'd like to welcome you today. Today, I am honored to have a wonderful writer, director, and a producer. Uh, his name is Alan Brown, and he is on the show tonight to talk about his uh, new movie that has come out, released on DVD, called Five Dances. But of course, on the Ramble Redhead Show, we'll talk about that and so much more. So, without any further ado, I want to welcome Alan to the show. Hello, Alan. How are you? Hey, Tom. I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? I am very good. We had a little de technical difficulties early, but everything is cool now, so I'm very happy and so excited to be able to talk with you. Um, and talk Terrific. About well, I'm really happy to, to be on the show. All right, great. Now, what I'd like to do real quick, because uh, I know we have a little bit of time, so I wanted to get right to it, but I was just wondering, can you tell uh, a little bit about, uh, like, you? Where, where did you grow up? I was just curious. Uh, I grew up in... Scranton, Pennsylvania. You did? Uh, okay. Yeah, but I don't usually hear such enthusiasm from people when I say that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'm like a fourth-generation Scrantonian. We moved to New York when I was three, but we went back when I was eight, so I really spent you know, my, my growing up years there. All right, cool. And, now, uh, yeah. Well, do you have brothers and sisters as well? I have two sisters, one's in New York and one's in Northern California. All right, all over the place, and, huh? Yeah. Now, yeah. Where did, did you, were you the youngest or the middle or what? Uh, middle, the, middle, the boy and the middle. Oh, so, wow. I mean, you know, people say middle child's not a great place to be, but I was also the only boy, so I think that balanced it out. So it may, Now, was there a big age difference, though? No, we're just, my parents seemed to plan us well. We were you know, each three years apart. So, yeah. um, and my mother came from a family of three kids. So, um, it seemed, it seemed to work out well. All right. Awesome. Well, I can relate to that. I, I'm my mom and dad had three kids, but I was the baby. So of course they say that the youngest one gets spoiled, but spoiled uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I wasn't spoiled. Okay. Well, yeah. Now, okay, I have to ask you one question. Did now when your your sister was born, the first one, um, did your parents take like fifty thousand pictures? And then when you're born, that they took like maybe twenty thousand. And when the youngest one was born, they probably took ten. Did, did that happen to you guys? Wait, you know what's funny about? I, and I think it was my father because it's usually the dad who takes pictures. I think yeah. my father was not a picture taker. No. Um, so there were not millions of pictures of us as kids. He got into. Uh, he was very. I know. He, I had an uncle who took lots of pictures and also filmed everything. And I had, and my father just wasn't a picture taker. And I didn't realize it until I got older because there's tons and tons and tons of photos of my mother growing up and my mother's teen years and my mother's childhood. And because we had all these, of course, you know, all these photo albums and everything. And then suddenly there weren't that many of us. Um, I think it was just my dad was not into taking pictures. So I don't feel like I had an over-recorded childhood. You know, there's just enough that you could go, oh, look at this. And then there's just, there isn't tons of them. So I don't feel like it was, I don't feel like they got tired of it from kid to kid. Right. You know, I think, I think being the boy, I had an, uh, a good time because they didn't pay as, maybe I was because I was the second you know, I got to run around a lot on my own. And mm -hmm. as my mother used to say, how come every time I'm out, yeah, I get a call and some neighbors taking you to the hospital? 
And I tell them, well, that's because you were out all the time. But also, I was I was not an accident-prone kid, but I was very adventurous or adventuresome. I never know the difference between those two words. But I was always falling off of garage roofs and out of trees and Uh-oh. doing things like that. But never anything really bad, but, you know, frequently in the emergency room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that uh, you're not doing that now. That would be a bad thing. Okay. <laughs> um, well, yeah. what, what I'd like to do is just go into the next thing because obviously, as I told you before we started recording, that one of the goals of this show is to um, talk to different people like yourself about whether you're part of the GLBT community or an ally to talk about, uh, you know, like the coming out process, dealing with sure. accepting who you are. And I was just wondering – um, how old were you when you realized that you were when you were gay or had different feelings like that? You know, people ask that question a lot, and I think that I, I share the answer with a lot of people, which is I don't really remember a clear moment or a clear age. Because, mm-hmm. um, and I think you talk to a lot of LGBT people, and they say, you know, they always were, and I would answer that the same way. I, you know, I always was what my self-awareness was at, you know, three or six or eight was a lot different than it was, let's say, when I was 12 or 13. And, you know, you start dating and you're in a, you know, a different kind of social context than you are when you're eight. But thinking back, I would say, uh, of course, you know, you didn't, I wouldn't have defined it that way, but I don't think I remember not being gay. If that makes sense? Yeah, it does. Um, It's, just at a certain age, you don't. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to define it until you suddenly get to that age where you go, girls or boys. Um, you know, I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is not a big place, and or like most of America, you know, very, you know, pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think I've talked to people there now, and I think a lot of gay people don't come out there even now, which is kind of shocking, or not shocking, you know. Um, anyway, I ramble. So, um, yeah, I guess quite very young, I would say. Well, that's the name of the show, so you're allowed to do that, okay? <laughs> yes, I know, I know. I knew what I said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the other question I like to ask is, obviously, when you do come to terms with who you are, is, of course, the other big step in a you know GLBT person's life is to tell other people. And I was right. just wondering, what was it like for you as far as like with your family and friends? I was just wondering, what was that like? Well, I come from a really, really liberal democratic family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came from on myself, I would describe myself as very left of center. Um, and all my friends are too. So, and even were then. So, I, I mean, that actually, I never experienced what a lot of people experience, of course, is a bad reaction from family or any bad reaction from friends. Um, and I think, as a lot of people will say, it's like your your good friends and your family always on some level know anyway. Yep. It's not a surprise, but I did not come from a family that, you know, there was any religious context for, for disapproving or for um, turning me away. Um, and my family was was pretty fine. So that was fairly smooth going for me. Um, happily. Well, good. Well, that's all. I mean, that's obviously what we all want out there for everyone. But as you know, yeah. unfortunately, with the, you know, some people even today, you know, it is a very, very oh, tough challenge. So believe yeah. me, and you know, it's I, you know, I live in New York and I work in the arts, and so I'm always working. You know, I work with many, many young people, of course, on this film and on 
happens, and I'm always amazed because I just have the assumption, oh, you know, you're an actor or a dancer, and you're in New York, and you're gay, and you know, you're you're 20, so or you're 18, or you're 22, so you're, it must have been an easy process, or your family must have been fine, and you find out that in fact, you know what, it hasn't changed that much, yep. and the stories haven't changed, and you talk to you know, people just out of high school now, and they have the same traumas that people had 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I think that, you know, there's a sense that it's changed everywhere, um, but it hasn't. There's still intense homophobia, and there's, you know, religious stigma attached to it. So I'm constantly being reminded again, you know, how important it is to be supportive and and get, you know, and one of my goals is to get positive gay imagery out there in film and, and in the media, because there certainly is not enough of it. Yep. Um, I mean, there's just way, way, way too little. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, and that's a whole. That's one of the reasons why I did this show is because I wanted to to get a voice out there. Because there's, I, you know, there's a lot of people that have listened to my show, that listen to my guests, who have come out, who who started dating, who went to college, who. Uh, I, I, one of the things I like to do is I like to run. So I do mini marathons. And one year I, I got a listener from Austria who wrote me a, and sent me a video and said, I just want you to know that I have to listening to that episode you did. I got off my, as he, as he put it, he said, I got off my fat ass, went to the running store and started running. And now he runs more than I do. And, uh, so it's just, it, it's That's just amazing. And you're talking to, I am a member of front runners, which is the LGBT running club in, well, not just in New York. They're, awesome. Uh, in, I mean, I, I know they're in Los Angeles and San Francisco, and I think there's there, I, I think there's a branch in London and other places. Wow. So I am also a runner, as is my partner. Well, cool. Very awesome. Now, yeah. and of course, I'm going to totally space out, but there was a gentleman who did an interview for my show that wrote a book about, it was like a fictional book about running, and I'm totally spacing out his name, and I'll have to find it and maybe get back with you later about it but but i think he was part of the the same group so i'm like i've totally it's a great it's a great group and uh it's it's really you know a wonderful thing to have you know within you know we i do the races and i'm a member of roadrunners also which is the big organization and sponsor of the new york marathon but to have the lgbt running group is you know, among other things it's terrific amount of fun but it also has spurred me on to be a better runner Yep. Because, you know, you've got this whole group behind you of people who are serious about it, and, but also make it into a, a nice social event. Yeah, it's awesome. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, for people out there that are listening to the show, the key thing is that if there's ever something you want to do, if you want it accomplished, but you just haven't started it, the key thing is if you can find a running group or whatever it is you're wanting to do, you know, just get started. Just put yourself out there and you'll be amazed by what you get in return. It's uh, it's really incredible. Oh, yeah. It so, makes such a difference also, I know, because you think of something like running as a lone sport. And um, and then once you join a group, it just, first of all, you get a lot faster. <laughs> yep. And you're also being held yeah, accountable, right? You know, because I have a... You are, I, indeed. So, I have a... I have a I have a dear friend of mine who who he and his partner live in Chicago, and the thing is he he's part of this group. And I had breakfast with them a couple weekends ago, and I said, "Well, what's the best thing about the group?" And he goes, "They held you accountable, and they're always calling you like, where the hell are you? Get out here!'" <laughs> oh, they and, do, they and, do, and it's a very good group in New York. I mean, it's also the sponsor of the Pride Run, which is one of the you know most famous 
runs every year mm-hmm. in June in Central Park. And so, yeah, but they, they're, it's a terrific thing, and I'm very happy to be a part of it. And anybody who's listening who's, you know, in a city where they have front runners, you should definitely join. Awesome. So that's my plug for running. All right, cool. How, how long have you been doing the running? Well, um, I used to run, and then I got very – I I'm a really, I wouldn't say obsessive, but I'm a very dedicated yoga practitioner. Oh, cool. So I kind of stopped everything. And for, you know, I've been for the last 10 years, I've been doing, going to yoga class practically like five, six days a week. And, but my partner last year, who was a, is a swimmer and belongs to Team New York, which is a, the LGBT swimming group masters team. He, got involved he decided to branch out and become a triathlete oh wow and now he's training for an iron man but he does a lot of open water swimming too so he does races in the hudson river and in brooklyn in the atlantic ocean and so when he this was literally uh a year ago like this week he said i'm going to buy running shoes and i said i'll go with you and i bought a pair too and i started and that was it and now i'm uh, actually I'm entering races. I'm planning to qualify for the New York Marathon next year. Awesome! Wow, that's great. So, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Um, I didn't. That's and one thing. You, that, you, you, yeah, you've been running for a long time, right? Yeah, it's been about like eight years. But I, the thing is, is that yeah. I the thing is with my job, and I constantly travel quite a bit. And so one of my biggest frustrations is like what you said is just doing the training, especially if you're going to do a long race like a mini marathon or a marathon. Is that you definitely have to commit to the training. And so I'm, I'm right now I'm more of a little bit more of the casual runner. But I really, yeah, you know, I really want to do more, and I want to, I want to, like you said, and be more. Uh, constantly improving and things like that, and you know, and as I'm getting older, I'm all, I'll be f- 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 in in November, so um, and so I can't say that word yet. So, <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, but uh, you know, you don't but, have to. That's I don't right. have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I would thought I'd be a casual runner too, but once you join these groups, where everybody's so serious, yeah, um, it spurs you on. So, and I'm enjoying it. Well, good. And it's good for me. So, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, let's go ahead and segue then to another topic that I think you do love is that, um, and I was just curious because obviously it's about the movies. And I was just wondering, when you were, you know, younger, did, were you, were you involved with like writing or directing um, or did that happen like more in college? I was just curious. I um, kind of fell into it after college. I was in art school in college, so that was certainly not unrelated. Mm-hmm. And I actually ended up got my degree in photography. Um, so it was kind of full circle. But then when I got out of college, I started, you know, I just kind of fell into writing. I mean, I was always a comfortable writer. And then the writing segued into, um, really, I was doing... I, you know, I was writing short stories and I was writing plays, and then, but I was also covering the arts for different publications, and so a lot of nonfiction writing. And, you know, that was all just, you know, I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, and I really liked doing it. And then I actually ended up, um, I got a Fulbright in journalism and moved to, went to Japan. Mm-hmm. And it was for a year, and I ended up staying for over seven years. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also where I met my partner. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, who's huh. Japanese, although he's now an American citizen. All right. And uh, yeah, and we came back to New York together. How did you, and, how did you two meet? 
we met actually at a bar um, called GB, which stands for Gay Bar in Tokyo. <laughs> and wow. uh, and it was, you know, he, he hates when I tell the story, but it's true. But I was there with a friend who, and when my partner walked in, my friend said, hey, there's your type. And I was trying to get his attention all evening, but he was with someone else and completely ignored me. And I went home and I was on the phone with another friend and, and I said, oh, there's this guy there who I was really attracted to, but he didn't know I existed. And then he, I bumped into him a couple nights later. Oh, and wow. that was, that was, now that's history. Um, yeah, so it was very, very nice. Well, cool. So can I ask how long yeah. ago that was? That was 20 years ago. Oh, my God. Wow. Yes. That is so awesome. We've been, together, we've been together a long time. And then at the end of my stay in Japan, I wrote uh, my novel, Audrey Hepburn's Neck, okay. which is uh, uh, not about Audrey Hepburn. It's just the title. And it's about, it's, uh, about a, you know, it's a young Japanese man's point of view book. Um, and the novel is what really got me into film because um, I came home and the novel was published and Miramax optioned it and was developing it into a film. And they hired me to write the screenplay and I did a couple drafts of that. I was not at the time in film and I was not a director. And that uh, really got me involved in the filmmaking process. Ultimately, they did not make the film and it the option got picked up by someone else, and it's still being optioned by various people who are hoping to make it. But, um, you know, that got me interested, and then one thing led to another, and I, I lived in New York, and I knew some cinematographers, and I had written a short play that was actually um, in, inspired. Inspired sounds like the wrong word always, but you, of course, remember the murder of Matthew Shepard. Yes, and I, I was very disturbed by that, as everyone was. And mm-hmm. I wrote a short play, a one-act play, about a high school boy, a gay high school boy, who's assaulted um, for, because he's gay and left in a field on a winter's night. Um, and one of his attackers comes back and helps him. So it's a two-character play. And it was you know, performed in various places, but um, someone suggested we make it into a film. And it was, and I did. And I directed it simply because there, were, there was no one else around to direct it. I, it sounds like a crazy thing, but, um, I, you know, the cinematographer said, well, you go ahead and direct it, Alan, and I'll help you. And uh, I discovered I loved the filmmaking process, and I loved directing, and I was very fortunate that the film, which is called Oh Beautiful, right. which is actually part of a strand compilation called Boy's Life 4, okay. um, it, the film was premiered at Sundance, and also, you know, premiered at um, Frameline in San Francisco, the big LGBT, oldest and biggest LGBT film festival in the world. And um, it was a short film, about a half hour long, but it had a, quite a long life and uh, won awards. And I thought, wow, I love this. I'm going to be a filmmaker. And I kind of stopped. I was halfway through writing my second novel when that happened. And I never finished the second novel. So you just continued to do the movies, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did. 
Now, I was yeah. just curious, you know, cause obviously this was your like first, you know, first film and, and, uh-huh. you know, the fact that it's being showed at the Sundance Film Festival, it's being released on this DVD, again, Boys Life 4 for people to check out. Um, and then also, like you said, it won a lot of awards. It was, you know, mm-hmm. singled out by critics and things that it's, as it, as I feed mm-hmm. here, it's as powerful and ultimately beautiful. And I was just wondering as a, you know, as a first time, you know, movie maker, I was just wondering what, how did that make you feel knowing that it was being so well received like that? Well, first of all, I don't, you know, I always joke you know, about beginner's luck, but there is such a thing, I think. Yep. And I think one of the things that made me feel was like, well, of course, it made me feel like, wow, I can, I can do this. I have a talent for this, which is, you know, always important to get, you know, positive feedback and support. And it was also the first time, you know, it was very clearly, you know, I put a gay character on the screen. I wrote about something that I cared about very much politically. Um, but I also, you know, it meant a great deal to me. It won the Future Filmmakers Award at Palm Springs. And, you know, I thought, whoa, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, I guess would be my answer to you. Yep. I thought this is, this is where my talent really lies. And so I kind of plunged into it. Of course, it's so gratifying when, you know, people appreciate your work. And, you know, it's never, not everybody did, even that, that film. And, you know, same with my novel and the films I made subsequently. You find you have your audience and there's people who understand and appreciate what you do. And then there's people who go, that stinks. <laughs> yep. And you have, you have to learn to go, well... What I learned early on was you can't just go, oh, I'm just going to believe the good things people say, and I'm not going to believe the bad things. And sort of what you learn to do is either, you know, you kind of ignore it all, yep, and you go, I'm not going to let the compliments turn my head. Um, but that said, you want to know that you're reaching people. And I think it was so important to me to know that people responded to the work and, and felt something. And we're moved by it because, you know, I think that's all that any artist wants, whether you're a, a painter or a filmmaker or a, um, a novelist you, or an actor, you know, you want people to be moved by what you do. Yep. I mean, that's true. And that's, you know, it's very important. And, but I also but I also think it's very important that like you, you might I read in an article that you wrote for the Huffington Post about you know, the new movie that you're talking about, but, but just about, you know, about fear and about art. And I just thought it was really amazing because I, I can tell you personally that as a writer, as a podcaster, as a, you know, different things that I've tried to do creatively, that I find it really amazing how often I tend to want to censor myself. I tend to want to, you know, like, oh, I better not post that. You know, sometimes I post a personal show where I'm talking about something that's going on in my life. And then I'm like, well, should I really post that? And then something tells me, yeah, go ahead and do it. And I post it. And then the next thing you know, I'm getting emails, I'm getting feedback, I'm getting phone calls. And it really, you know, surprises me that, you know, I'm really glad that I didn't do that. I'm glad I really did push myself and did put that out there and took the risk because I think that's part of the other part of the creative process. You got to be willing to put that art out there and wait for the reaction. And hopefully you you want the good. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you get the bad as well. But totally. I mean, yeah. I would. You know, my main criticism myself is that I'm too conservative yep. and I'm too, you know, I, it's scary taking risks yep. and I, I wish I was, you know, more courageous, but so I totally understand what you're saying. It's, you know, that's really what the pride an artist friend. And I think I discussed in one of my Huffington Post pieces, the one who said to me, you're, you know, it's good to be scared. 
Yep. You know, that's when you know you put yourself in a place to make something interesting. Yep. And so also, important. you know, and then you'll, what I also find really amazing is that once you do that, you're, you're not only you're amazed what the outcome is, but also what it taught you. Um, as an individual, yes. so um, you know, because yes. you know, like the movie, the the, the latest one, we're, we'll get to that in a minute. But but I think it was really interesting. So what I'd like to do, real quick, if we could just uh-huh. um, then segue into like some of the other work that you've done, like the next one, which is um, uh, your feature Book debut, of Book of Love. And I was uh-huh. wondering if you could, you know, you know, talk about that briefly, and you know, let us know what the subject was about and and what was that like. So sure, Book of Love came. I mean, I, you know, it was a wonderful thing. It felt beautiful. It was really like my calling card. And it allowed me, within a year, to be back at Sundance with my first feature film, which was uh, Book of Love, which actually premiered at Sundance in the, in the dramatic competition, which was so exciting for me. You, I mean, you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And that was a film I'd written, you know, and it was, I was, you know, I had so many varied interests. And it was a film that was really explored um, a, it was about a marriage and it started great actors. It is Simon Baker, who, you know, everybody knows from his TV show, The Mentalist now, right. but it's or Simon Baker and Frances O'Connor, who are you know, a wonderful, wonderful Australian actress. Um, and Greg Smith, who was at the time was the star of the TV show Everwood. Um, he was like 17 at the time. And it was about a husband and wife and, it was about infidelity. I was about a wife who has an affair with a 16-year-old boy. Um, you know, I just wanted to explore those issues, and I was fortunate to get this amazing cast. And we made this film, which was, you know, it was, it was a different kind of process, of course, because it's one thing to make a short film. You know, we shot for five nights for my film, and suddenly I was on this, you know, still a low-budget independent film, but, you know, much bigger. And, you know, it was like a whatever, 22-day shoot, and it rained, it poured. It was the rainiest June in the recorded history of New York City. Of course. (laughs) Poured for 17 days. But, you know, you get it done. So it was a really great education for me, and also working with such such experienced actors. Frances O'Connor had just come off of AI, where she played the mother, and she just started Bedazzled and Mansfield Park. So I had people who were very experienced, really helped me along and you know that film actually did not have any lgbt content although one might argue it was implied in certain scenes but um you know it was really great to work um it's it's a wonderful story and i love the film and i love the performances and it really i think you know pushed me to become you know, it was so much different than and you know, Bryce Dallas Howard was in it, Mary Grainer. I mean, the, the list of people I had, I was so fortunate. Um, and it just pushed me up that step from a two-character, one-location um, short film into doing this, you know, much more complicated feature film and made me think a lot more about, you know, my writing and, and really, you know, Turned me into the the filmmaker I am today. I think. Well, awesome. Well, that's great. Um, well, I mean, I, I really want to encourage all my listeners out there to you know definitely do what you can to check out all these movies and so far. Again, yeah, so, they're all on. Uh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, they're go all ahead. on Netflix and iTunes and Amazon and but you know all of my films are on Netflix actually, including right. the short. So awesome, great. They're, they're well, all available. Yeah. 
Well, good. I just want to, you know, encourage people definitely to check them out. Now, the next one I did want to talk about because I, I, as I was, you know, doing some research about you, um, I heard about this movie and uh, it's called Superheroes. And the thing is, to be honest with you, I, uh, I'm a big movie nut, and I did not know about this one. And I'm, I'm, as I'm reading reviews and. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching this, and I was, and I, I think that obviously the subject is very, very important, um, and I was wondering if you could share that as well. Yeah, I, I would love to, and it's it's a very important film to me too, and also stars a amazing actor, Dash Myhawk. Um, but at the time, I was very involved, and I'm you know fairly politically engaged, and at the time, I was very involved in uh, protesting the Iraq War. And I had, you know, obviously I didn't do a very good job, but um, I, you know, really did what I could along with many other people to uh, try and keep us out of that war and went to marches in Washington. And, um, but, of course, the war happened and um, it was, you know, that time, it's, uh, in a sense, it seems so long ago, but things haven't changed in many ways. So it was really kind of engrossed me it kind of took my life up for a long time and I was really just um, always reading about it and watching things about it and the thing that struck me most was the the plight of the returning soldiers, the people who were coming back from the war injured um, and psychologically damaged. That was really the war where we really, you know, where the, where the public became aware of post-traumatic stress disorder but I was really appalled by what I was reading in the papers about these soldiers who would come back and not be receiving the medical and psychological care that they had been promised. Yep. I was so upset by it. And I, you know, this is an issue that, you know, they're still talking about. But at the time, it was a new one. And I really had remembered reading about this one soldier who came back, his body completely riddled with shrapnel. And, you know, shrapnel, once it's in you, often doesn't, you know, it, it can work its way back to the surface um, over years. And I just, it, you know, it, it so upset me. And I started writing a screenplay about this one soldier because I felt like I wanted to write about what war did to, to people, but I didn't want to write a big war drama in a war zone. Um, so I really focused on this one character. And it, in a certain sense, it was my first one-location film, although there were scenes in other locations with with varieties of people. 90% of the movie takes place at this cabin up in the woods in up the Hudson in New York with just two characters, and that's the, the ex-soldier, the vet played by Dash Myhawk, and then this young just out of college videographer who is basically making a, a little video about this soldier. Uh, he met him at a, at a vet support group that, uh, and he, and so it's really a two character film and there's a film within a film with the, because there's a video within the film that this, this one character that Spencer Treat Clark played so beautifully. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of the movie, and I, I just, you know, I, I think the performances were great, and it meant a lot to me personally and politically to make that film. 
Yes, I mean it's really an important issue. To be honest with you, I, as a you know prior military person myself, I've always been even more passionate about yeah. this. And and the thing is, is that I, I every month I donate to the Wounded Warriors, uh, which is a group that helps sure. uh, helps yeah. those um, soldiers. And the other thing is that the statistics are just mind blowing about you know like Appalling. about yeah. all the suicides and things like that. So I just want to encourage people as well that you know to watch this movie. And the other key thing is to, if you can, to please do what you can either locally or, uh, you know, like I did, join uh, Wounded Warriors, help people, uh, give to your local, you know, veterans charity or organization if you have one. Um, and just, you know, try to do something because a lot of these young kids come home and they're hurt and they're injured and they can't get jobs. And, you know, and it's just it's just really mind blowing how sad uh, the issue is. And it's just really important that we need to support our military in every way possible. So I think that's really, Absolutely. And thank you for saying that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm really glad that you made it because I think just like a lot of other issues that, that affect the United States, I think that this is definitely one of the most important. Uh, and it's just really sad about how these young men and women are, are not given the support that they need, just like the Vietnam, just I like with World War II, you know, and, yeah. you know, and yeah. further. So it's really important issue. Um, so I'm, I, I thank you for doing what you did, to, you know, to do your part. So uh, that's very good. Um, now, what I'd like to do is then go on to the next one, which I, I wanted I wanted to tell you, Alan, that I see every uh, normally we've kind of put out a little bit of a hold. But but I want to let you know that normally every weekend I had a group of my homo friends and we would all have a homo movie night. And what we uh -oh. do is we would have a bunch of movies and we would get different things. And uh, and one of the movies that we would definitely watch was the next one, which is called Private Romeo, which I thought was very interesting when I read, when I got the movie and I was like, wow, this is really, you know, interesting uh, concept. And I just thought it was really cool. And then I read a little bit more about the movie and about you getting involved and what you did. And I just thought it was a very, very interesting thing. So I just wanted to give you another opportunity to talk about the movie and, you know, what motivated you to do it. And then also uh, the reaction to it. So I was just wondering if you could share that. Sure. Um, Private Romeo is, as you already know, it's a, uh, it's a contemporary adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, but yes. actually using 90% of the film is actually Shakespeare's script. So it's in Elizabethan iambic pentameter. And at the time, I was again, uh, I mean, it was, it was 2010. It was really at the height of two political issues. One was bullying, mm -hmm. which at the time bullying was really making national news for the first time. And there were a lot of teen suicides and there were a lot of attention. It's when the, the Trevor Project and It Gets Better campaign all came to prominence when people were starting to understand that there were a lot of gay youths who were really being bullied. And I, it was also, it was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was overturned. Yep. And I really wanted to make something that dealt with these issues. And... I would always been uh, attracted to to Romeo and Juliet, and I was, you know, I, the idea of working with Shakespeare was, you know, exciting. But I was really interested in doing an all male version, and my first idea was to set it in a military barracks. And then I realized I felt that the characters really had to be teenagers. I couldn't make them in the film nineteen, twenty year old soldiers because Romeo and Juliet only works if they're kids. Um, so I said it in an, as you know, already, I said it, it's Romeo and Juliet with all men set in a high school military academy. Yep. And 
I cast, I again, I'm fortunate to be in New York, so I was able to cast just out of school, young and extraordinarily talented New York theater actors, all of whom had, you know, been, been trained in Shakespeare and had a lot of Shakespeare experience, so they were very comfortable with the language. And, um, and that's what I did. And, I, you know, I don't want to give away too much of the film. You know, it is mostly Shakespeare's script, but I did make some changes to the story, yep. besides the fact that they're all men. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you know, I took some liberties with the story to change the outcome of this. But it was really thrilling to be able to work with Shakespeare's language and also with actors like Seth Numerick, who you may know of, um, who starred in Broadway in, in War Horse right after we did the film. Yep. He plays our Romeo. And um, it's, uh, you know, we had an amazing, one of the things that I would talk about that also affected five dances in my decisions in making five dances were the I got very strong reaction from a lot of people to the story who, of all ages, so not just young gay kids who said, thank you for putting this gay romance up on the screen. We never, you know, we rarely get to see one, but also from far from older gay men and women who said, I wish we had films like this when we were growing up. Yep. I mean, I, I, yep. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. And it really affected me a lot because I realized that how important it was to put, you know, gay characters and gay romance and gay imagery up on the screen. And there's so little. And Hollywood produces none, almost none. There was just a glad, um, you know, did a study this last year of the number of gay characters in major motion pictures. And it's, you know, it's close to zero. And certainly none of them are leading characters. Um, and I was very touched by how much it meant to people to go watch this, you know, this great romance, uh, this famous romance, what's more famous than Romeo and Juliet, yeah. and to turn it in, you know, make it high school boys. And it, it had a great effect on me. And I was very fortunate also because the film was embraced by the Shakespeare community as well. And in fact, um, Folger's Shakespeare Library in Washington, which you know is the center of all things Shakespeare in the United States, um, added, invited me down, and they showed the film to a conference of high school teachers from all over the country. Shakespeare, oh, wow. Shakespeare. And in fact, they're still doing it. They did it again this summer. Well, that's amazing. I wasn't able to go, but yeah. they do it, you know, when the teachers come in in the summer, it's a conference of teachers who go back to their schools in the fall and teach Shakespeare, and they show them Private Romeo. Wow. Um, as a teaching tool and something to show their students because it is not only Shakespeare, it is a film about, you know, uh, gay youth and about bullying. And so it's a great teaching tool. And I was, you know, I've been really touched. And actually the Shakespeare Center at King's College in London brought me over also. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a terrific experience for me. And it also taught me that you could make... You can make a film that is art, but also confronts important issues, and you know people people will embrace a film like that. Um, so yeah, it meant a lot to me, and I thought, oh wow, as if you know, you could go out as a filmmaker with films like Superheroes and and Oh Beautiful, and and I mean, obviously, I have my themes. Um, and since my first film ever was about uh, high school kid bullying, being 
brutally bullied, and in Private Romeo was also done bullying. Um, and I thought, this is kind of great, you know, being a gay filmmaker and being able to deal with gay subject matter and gay characters. Yep. I mean, I, I just want to tell you, like I said before we started talking about it, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, and I think that it's, it's a really important topic. And obviously, it's really rewarding that people are obviously, uh, you know, getting something out of it. In fact, it, it also was a New York Times critics pick as well as it won a grand jury prize at Outfest. So, so that's got to be really rewarding as well. And then just knowing it that is. it's being showed yeah. all over the world and that people are, have that positive reaction to it. So that's, that's, so that's something is. you should be very yeah. congratulated. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, then what I'd like to do then is I'd like to talk to you about the, the newest project, which I, I want to say I watched it this weekend, um, and I it really, really enjoyed it. And I have to tell you that as a as a movie nut like myself, I just want to tell you that the minute the movie started, I was like that very first scene uh, with your, your lead actor, Ryan, I was just like, wow. I was just it just grabbed me right away. And then all the way through this, it was just an amazing, amazing, amazing movie. And I just wanted to, I was Thank so, you so much. I really appreciate that. Cause I was so excited about, um, you know, cause I received word that you were doing interviews and I was like, awesome. And then when I watched the movie, I was after it was over, I was like, I was so looking forward to, to talking to you about it. And it, it's so unique and different and it's so interesting. And, and I definitely want to, you know, give you some time to talk about it. And I really would like to talk sure. about like how the whole starting process for you. And then I'd also like to, you know, then segue to that article you wrote about, you know, about, again, about fear and art and the, the whole story behind the, the movie sure. itself. Cause uh -huh. I thought that was phenomenal um, article. So I just wondered if you could, you know, talk about that as well. So. Sure. Um, where would you like me to start? Um, well, why don't you start about the whole process of the, you know, how, to, how, what made you decide to do this particular topic? Well, you know, the film is called Five Dances, and it's about, you know, it's a dance film, and it's, as you know, it's most of it is set in a dance studio with five dancers, and it stars Ryan Steele, who is a New York dancer and an amazing dancer. My, my class, they were all dancers. They were not actors. Only one of them had acting experience, so they'd never been on film before, any of them. Right. And they were not actors, so it was, you know, it was, it was a harrowing but wonderful process, but... Um, I am a dance fan, and I have been for many, many years, and I had just felt that I had used a little bit of dance in my film Superheroes, but really a teeny bit, but I really loved working with dancers, and I loved filming dance, and I worked with my cinematographer, Derek McCain, who's uh, you know, done my last three films. We both really loved, responded strongly to the dance and said, it would be great to make a, a whole dance film. And so it was an idea I kicked around in my head for a number of years. And I came up with this notion of setting a, setting a film in a rehearsal studio. And um, from there, it really grew out of um, one thing. It grew out of being able to collaborate with Jonah Bocaire, who's the choreographer who did the dance for the film. And Jonah is uh, someone I'm very fortunate to know. I've known him for, for over a decade, and he's a wonderful, internationally known choreographer, incredibly talented, and I'm a, such an admirer of his work. And he agreed to create the dance for the film, which, you know, as you know, the film is, I don't want to scare away people who think that they are not, you know, dance goers or don't understand dance. The film is so much dance. 
Um, and he created just wonderful work. And I really, this was a different process than my other films because I didn't go into it with a full script. Instead, months before we shot the film, I auditioned and, and found my cast because unlike actors, when you have actors, you can write a script and you have characters and then you audition, you can find different actors and you kind of plug them into the roles you've written. And of course, every actor will, you know, interpret it differently. But again, you go, this is my role, this is the character, and now I'm going to find an actor who I think will be able to do this. Well, dancers are not actors. Right. So in this case, I had to find dancers who I thought were incredible. And then I wrote characters and wrote a story to fit them. Yes. And so I would have to say, really honestly, that Ryan and the rest of the cast inspired the film, inspired the characters I created for them. And then this, this story I wrote for them, it really came out of you know, those, those really talented people I was fortunate enough to find. Well, cool. I was just curious, yeah. how, how were you able to find these people? Was it just different auditions, well, or how did you do that? Yeah, I mean, we really, I have a casting director who's named Stephanie Holbrook, and I worked with her on three films now. Mm -hmm. And she, um, you know, it was a different process, of course, because these were not actors. So um, we did not, we had to put the word out in a different way. But we had um, really great fun, but unusual auditions, in that we asked, dancers to come in and do three minutes of dance and three minutes of anything verbal, which meant, be, you know, I wanted to have dancers, I mean, normally an actor will come in and they'll do a scene for you, but I wanted to give them the option to do other things. And most of the dancers came in and just kind of told the story for their three minutes. Um, so... And we just saw, like all auditions, you know, we saw tons and tons of dancers. I mean, there's so many of them in New York. And, you know, we saw everybody got six minutes. You know, we saw a lot of them. You know, you'd start at 10 in the morning, you go to 5 in the afternoon with a break for lunch, and you're seeing, you know, one dancer like every eight minutes. Or, and people come in and you we take them, and um, that's, you know, that's, we found, we saw tons of people, and then, you know, Ryan came in, and Reed came in, and, and Catherine Miller came in, and Kimi Akor, you know, our, 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 that little dance company we found. And then Jonah, the choreographer, joined me for the auditions. So that was extremely helpful, because we were able to choose the dancers together, because obviously I'm not a choreographer, and I'm not a dancer. So... You know, having Jonah there to be able to find the right dancers also was very important. Yes. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I was just wondering, because obviously the movie... Now, did you did you really... Because I was trying to find a little bit more about the movie, and I was just wondering, was this released like, at the different film festivals like the others were as well? Yes, this actually... Um, you know, it, it actually had a, a ridiculously long festival life just because it was so popular, and... Um, so it's really been all over the world. I mean, we won, you know, we won prizes in Tel Aviv, in Rio, and the film has, um, you know, sold to distributors everywhere from Poland to Taiwan. Oh, wow. Um, in fact, I just came back a few weeks ago. I was in Barcelona for a film festival, and the film opened theatrically in Paris. So it's had a really wonderful life, and, um, you know, I mean, it continues to, and obviously just 
today or yesterday. It came out on DVD in the United States, but because it had been playing festivals in the United States for really the last year and a half, it premiered at Lincoln Center in February 2013, and we just played. I think actually it's still playing festivals this summer in the states, but. You know, it, the big festival, yeah, I know it is. It's playing, I think, in Detroit in a couple of weeks and um, some other places. But, you know, and we played Frameline in San Francisco in June. I was out there for that. So, yeah, it's been incredibly well received on on the festival circuit and otherwise. Um, you know, I have a shelf full of DVDs sitting here in different languages that I will never understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been, been very gratifying. Well, that's awesome. I mean, again, as a, you know, as a, I know as you as a creative person, just to, because I just love the whole process about reading that article about how you really didn't have the script and how you were getting strictly dancers. They were not actors that were dancers, but just dancers. And then I loved how you built the story based on, you know, the dancers and were able to really do that. And I thought it was really amazing. And, you know, even, the, I mean, I had loved watching dance. I like certain shows that are on TV now that have dancers. But I have to tell you that I was. I was really blown away by the dancing in this movie. It was really good. I Thank loved the you. music in the movie. I thought it was really good. Um, so I thought it, it was really good. It kept my attention for sure. And I definitely, you know, I think people that, you know, like you said, uh, you know, don't let the subject matter kind of throw you off, but just give it a chance and watch it. And I think you will be, you know, very pleasantly surprised like I was. I thought it was. Thank you. No, uh, yeah, yeah. One of the most gratifying things is people who say they're not dance fans end up loving the movie. Yeah, and I'm sure um, that if they are dance fans, they, they would love it you know, as well because they, can, they know the detail about it. And I, I just thought it was really awesome. So I just want to say you know, thank congratulations. You. Thank you very much. Okay, Alan, well, what I'd like to do is just ask you uh, one final quick question before we go. And I was just wondering, you know, obviously since this is a GLBT podcast, I was just wondering, you know, looking back to your life through the good, the bad, and maybe the not so good, I was just wondering what bit of advice would you give to the younger people out there? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, looking back at my life, well, even without looking back at my life, the well, actually, I would say, obviously, I would say to people, I know it sounds redundant and maybe cliche, but it actually does get better. <laughs> and so it's like you really, if you you know get yourself through whatever grade school, middle school, high school. Get you know when you get out. To, I find when you get out to college or you get out into the world in your twenties, that is the first time you really meet people who are just or either like you or appreciate you, and that there's a lot of them around. And if, there just aren't a lot of them around when you're in a smaller town or at the same school for years. But the other thing I would say, Tom, to be honest, is that I think because when I look back for young people, if there's any regrets that I have, it's not realizing like. What a, you know, what an opportunity you have when you're young, you're young, you have energy, you're not tied down with a lot of adult responsibilities yet. Um, and that's the time in your life to really, you have the opportunity to try what's important to you to, you know, again, to you to follow your dream. Because, you know, as you get older, you get weighed down with more obligations and responsibilities. And it's really, you know, in your in your college years, in your 20s, and maybe in your high school years, that you've got, you know, that kind of freedom to explore and try the things you want to try and to become the person you want to become. 
All right, awesome. Well, that's a great answer. And I just think that's yeah. really good advice, especially for anybody really wanting to follow their dream and really go after it. And, you know, you have to make those baby steps. And, and, and like, for example, just you too. And, you know, just like with what you said about movies and how that whole thing started and, and look at where mm-hmm. you are today. I mean, it really yeah. has been a big change for you. And, and so it's just really been awesome. So, okay, well, what I'd like and, to do. And I will actually say, well, I will say one more thing. Is sure. that someone gave me a great piece of advice once, and you just repeated it. You said baby steps. Someone said to me, you know what? You don't have to accomplish everything at once. Yep. Just take a step. Do a little bit at a time. And and that is you know that is good enough, and all those all those baby steps will add up. So that that's very good advice you just gave. Also, all right, all right good. All right. Well, what I'd like to do since Alan, since we have to get going, because mm-hmm. I know you have some uh, time thing that you need to get to. So I just wanted to ask you the how can uh, my lovely listeners be able to find out more about you and like if you have a website or you're on Facebook or if you whatever you could like to you know help promote yourself right now. So. Sure, of course. There's um, first of all, I mean, I do have a very simple website that you know connects to all my films, and it's just alanbrown.me. Okay. So that's easy enough. Sure. And then, of course, privateromeothemovie.com and fivedancesthemovie.com, which are both the websites for my two more, most recent films, and have a, they have a lot about me and my films. And there's also uh, Private Romeo has a Facebook page, and Five Dances has a Facebook page. Um, and both of those, of course, have you know, tons of pictures from my work and all sorts of interesting information. Um, and if anyone's interested, we are soon going to be, right after Labor Day, we're going to be launching a Kickstarter campaign for my new film in the studio that I'm really excited about. So I would urge your listeners to keep their eye out for that. And if they, if they, I, I hope they will like the Odd Dances Facebook page and Private Romeo Facebook pages. We'd love to have them on board, and and they'll get if they do, they'll get information about me as as you know things move forward. So um, that's how to find me. Yeah. All right, great. Well, thank you, Alan. I really do appreciate you being on the show. It was great oh, honor pleasure. to talk with you. And I, like I said, I really enjoy your work, and I really am excited about your new project, and I can't wait to see it. So that's uh, awesome. So, all right. Thanks well, so much, Tom. No it's problem. A pleasure talking to you, too. All right. Thank you, sir. Would you like, to, right. say, like to say goodbye to everybody for me? Yes. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks you for listening. It was a pleasure talking to you all. All right. Great. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay, everybody, we're going to go ahead and go for now, but if you can do me a big favor, go to RambleRedhead.com and leave a comment about this episode as well as all the others that you should be listening to. Don't forget to also add me as a friend on Facebook or Twitter under the name of Ramble Redhead. Also, you can call my show phone number, which is 574-807-9171. And also, don't forget, you can always email me at RambleRedhead at gmail.com. So without any further ado, remember, a crazy redhead from Indiana loves you, and I wish you all the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye, 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 bye.